Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy, and you are listening to Revived Thoughts. Normally, Joel would be on, but this week we're doing something a little bit different. We're doing a, uh, basically, I'm doing an interview with a gentleman named Ben Garrett. He is on the Haunted 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 Cosmos podcast. His show is all about kind of supernatural things from a very historical perspective and from a very Christ-centered perspective. He has all kinds of episodes, things like, what are vampires? Where do they come from? He really went into the history of where did the idea of vampires come from? How old is this idea? Just, I learned so much from that. And I, I thought I knew a little bit of history on these kind of things. I do enjoy the subjects of where do kind of these ideas from life come from. But he did such a great job of going way into the details. Now, I will say I do feel like I'm a little late to the party. I feel like a lot of people have been talking about this podcast for the last year. And I felt like I got onto the board to it very late. But when I got to listen to it and check it out, I really wanted to talk to Ben about some things because it is a part of church history, actually, that there are some strange unexplainable moments that are difficult for the historian who wants to live only in the realm of empiricism, only in the realm of science, to explain. Things like Joan of Arc, how a peasant girl, by all, by all accounts a peasant girl, who should have never been able to even get near the king, was able to lead the king and his army to victory and get him crowned when no one else was even trying to do so. There are just these little weird things throughout church history that are almost impossible to explain. Why did so many people from Augustine, Augustine, Augustine is what I normally say. Now you guys got me saying it. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, John G. Payton, so many people throughout history have said, I heard a voice telling me to do something, so I listened to them. Why is that such a common thread? Uh, The Salem Witch Trials and and just so many other things throughout history that are odd. They're just outside the realm of what the scientist or or the person who lives just by the numbers would like it to be. I think these stories are interesting, so I wanted to ask Ben what he thinks of these things, and we had a 
good discussion on that subject that I think you're going to very, very much enjoy. It's definitely a different episode of Revive Thoughts. We don't normally do interviews and we don't normally uh, have discussions on these kinds of topics, but it is fun once in a while to go outside what we normally do. I really enjoyed the discussion. I really enjoyed just how Christ-centered the approach they took to these kind of phenomena were. If you have not listened to their show, I'm going to plug it several times, but I will say it just first and right out the bat. Make sure you go subscribe and listen to them. Uh, they have two episode part series on Mothman. They have this whole deep dive on skinwalkers. This is lots of really interesting things that you should go and definitely check out. All right, so as we said, we have been on right now one part of the Haunted Cosmos podcast. I'm really excited to talk to Ben here, and uh, this was not the original direction I had pitched the show to him, and I hope I hope he didn't seem too uh, surprised as I was like, hey, I actually want to have this other conversation. But if, you, if you've listened to the Haunted Cosmos podcast, if you've, if you've gotten the opportunity to do that, you'll, you'll notice that they talk about topics and they think about things that are just not normally what you would hear. And as I listened to it, I just kept thinking, man, I want to ask them what they think about some of the weird topics that we also find in church history. Some of these things that you're not really, I don't even say you're not supposed to talk about them. They, they come up a lot, maybe even, but you're not supposed to ask the spiritual questions. And I think the first example that came to my mind as soon as I started listening to them was, okay, what would you say about the Salem witch trials. You know, there's this event that happens. It's in American history. It's a, a big part of history. You know, because of it, we see almost a, a deadening of the spirit of America, and it doesn't really kick back off again until the Great Awakening. And yet, during this entire episode, there's this idea that there is some kind of demonic influence or something like that happening, but we almost never actually talk about that side of it. And so, Ben, over from the Haunted Cosmos, I wanted to ask you, what do you think maybe of that topic and topics kind of like that? Well, you know, it's super awesome to be here. Thank you uh, for having me on. Thank you for that really warm welcome and, and introduction. Uh, love what you guys are doing. I'm going to jump right in. I actually forgot while we, while we were doing our little powwow before we pressed record, I have <laughs> right next to me on my desk, the Malleus Maleficarum, the witch hammer, uh, written by Heinrich... Wow. Kramer. And this was one of the big things that they used in the Salem witch trials to, to determine the guilt or innocence of a party. And really like to boil down, you know, I could talk about this for hours, I think. Um, but, but to boil down the answer into something short, I don't think that, that people throughout all of history were wrong to seek to criminalize witchcraft. I mean, we see the Lord Jesus doing this in the Old Testament. We see God giving the law to Moses and saying that any necromancy or witchcraft or wizardry or anything is completely outlawed. And I think there's a really good reason for that and that it's that it's real. It's very real. I mean, we see Saul conjuring up, uh, going to pay this witch in Endor and conjuring up the soul of Samuel. And, and the subtext is that she was expecting her familiar spirit to come up and when it was actually Samuel, she was surprised. And that's why she reacts the way that she does and, and realizes that, that this is the king, even though he's wearing a disguise, is because she was like, oh, well, my familiar demonic spirit's going to come up and, and give me some info here. And in reality, no, God God proclaims his lordship even over that realm. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm just rambling now. I think that when it comes to the Salem witch trials in particular, you had a mixture of genuine, uh, authentic criminal acts that would have that were offensive to God 
um, in, in the form of witchcraft. I think that you had genuine rich witchcraft happening that was wicked and bad. Um, and I do not think that the Puritans were wrong to seek to punish uh, those witches and, and try to stop them from practicing those things. However, I also think that the Salem trials were especially heinous because you had sins, uh, gross sins in both directions. I think that the, the investigators and then the proctors of the trials went way wrong also. I think that they let social status, they let gossip, hearsay, slander enter way too much into the equation. And so you got something that spiraled out of control. And maybe it started in this authentic way where there was like, oh, we have a genuine problem. And, you know, you can argue about the response to that. Maybe it should have been more pastoral and less less witch hammery. Uh, but at any rate, you had it then go from that to something that was, I think, really derailed and, and, and deranged. Um, and I think that you had, you know, political vying going on with the guys who were doing the investigation, whose name escapes me now. Um, and then you also had the the townspeople who were a faithful people. They were a Christian people. And they expected that same faithfulness and Christianness out of their leaders and magistrates, and they didn't get it. But they were expecting it. And so you got this like uh, this upheaval of, well, our magistrates who we're supposed to be able to respect and trust are telling us that all of this is true. And so we're going to just defer to them when in reality, maybe a little sliver of it was true and had to be addressed, but it blew out of proportion. Does, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, I think that explains a lot. I mean, we I, I remember when we did research on this episode, we did one on Salem witch trials. There was literally a captain's log that I kind of ran into where this captain was talking about sailing a boat and he just kind of goes, oh yeah, you know, there was a storm that delayed us by a day. We got some good winds. We moved up by two days. We picked up a witch and had to drop her off on an island that delayed us by a day. And it was just as it was such a normal phenomena. It was just a captain's log. Like there was nothing else added. And I was like, we are so far removed from that way of doing things. And that doesn't mean that everybody they picked up that said they were a witch was a witch. Right. But it certainly seems a little crazy to me that we would just dismiss every single person and say there has never been anything like witchcraft, right? Because the Bible specifically yeah. says, don't get involved with witches. So why would the Bible say that if there's zero things behind it, if that makes sense? Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There's this there's this interesting connection in the Old Testament where it talks about the law of Canaan and how, uh, you know, talking about how the sin of the Amorites or the iniquity of the Amorites isn't yet complete when God's promising Canaan to Abraham. He says that. And it leaves you wondering like, okay, well, what what all is the sin of the Amorites? And if you compare the, the sins that God is accusing the Canaanites and the Amorites and all those people of with his law that he gives to his people, you can see that his law is showing them what their sins were by its prohibitions. So it's like Leviticus 18 is a great example where it's talking about sexual immorality and then it goes into child sacrifice as if the two are inherently related. I mean, the Lord goes from sexual immorality to child sacrifice in the same breath as if the two are just intrinsically like one leads to the other. And then it says, you will not do this lest the land spit you out like it is doing to the Canaanites. And so you have this like law of Canaan. And I think that uh, the text of scripture is pretty clear that part of that law included a rich practice of witchcraft that was very, very bad. And it was familiarizing yourself with demonic spirits and, and 
you know, help using that to help curse people. We have a rich history of this, even in the Americas with the Native Americans, where they have the skinwalker. And the skinwalker is this, uh, this malevolent person who, out of pure greed, envy, and hatred of his or her neighbor, invites in this demonic spirit so that they can become a terror to their people. It's very, I mean, it's witchcraft is, is what it is. And so this, this trope, this motif, if you will, shows up everywhere in history, in the story of history. Everywhere you look, you see witches. And we have it, of course, in the modern day too, where we have modern musicians like Taylor Swift and, and uh, Travis Scott and Lana Del Rey who are somehow uh, performing concerts in which people are getting, you know, killed, trampled, and then turned over, like stormed over by some wave of energy, like the Lana Del Rey concert that, that happened recently. There's footage of this where there's this like explosion of energy in the crowd and then everyone around it, it's like a shockwave. They just get knocked over. And the people that are there describe it as an, un, an unstoppable force of energy that emanated from the stage and they were just like, you know, toppled down. So it, it's not like these things aren't here anymore. It's just that we've lost our capability to shamelessly label them for what they are, which is witchcraft. And I don't know, like Lana Del Rey, that may not have been witchcraft, but it looks like it, it acts like it. Oftentimes if something looks and sounds like a duck, it's a duck, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, where I live right now, we I do not live in the United States of America, and where I live, I mean, they have witch doctors. It's a pretty common idea that there are, you know, people who are supposed to cure me with spirits and stuff like that. No, I think we in the, we, especially those of us from the West, we, when we as Christians, we obviously reject all of that. We, we put our faith in the Lord, but right. also people in the West, they just, they don't, they hear that. And I'm sure there are listeners right now listening to this going, Oh, what in the world? Like I listen to a church history podcast <laughs> and what are they talking about? Witches and all this for this we is dove in really deep. weird. Do I need to, <laughs> do I need to rethink this thing? But I think the thing is, it's just, it's even if you don't, if you're listening to this going, I, I'm doubting some of this, I'm not sure where I'm at. It's certainly a part of church history where they would have considered these things very serious. Now, another question I wanted to ask you, Ben, and and I'm not sure how much you you know how much you know on this. Again, I'm poor. Ben is coming on. I didn't really send them these topics ahead of time, and I probably should have. Uh, but this there's this weird phenomena I've seen throughout, just kind of reading different stories, where people will say that they hear a voice or something telling them to do something, and this is common among even Christians. So for example, Augustine said he felt like, you know, there was a voice that said like, hey, pick up this book and read. Uh, Joan of Arc said, believed she had this very clear vision to king the throne of, you know, the, the king of France and, you know, help him get to this one place. Uh, I mm. think St. Francis of Assisi, you had this weird phenomena, like almost these visions happening. And it's certainly something that in the West, I don't know that anybody would say that that's something they see happening anymore. How would you say Christians should kind of interact with this? Because they're going to, if they're reading church history, if they're looking at books, they're going to see these things happening. What would your suggestion be? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I I don't totally know my, like the full extent of my opinion on this yet. I was reading uh, this morning, I was reading Herman Bovink's Reformed Dogmatics. And, it, and he was talking about... Yeah, I used that book in uh, one of my classes. It's a great book. Oh, it's man. It's an expensive so book, good. but it's a great book. It is expensive. <laughs> and it's long. 
We had somebody, I sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but we had no, somebody you're, no, you're break good. into our house one day when we first moved here to Indonesia and they were clearly looking for money, but they had, n- I had not fully unpacked and they knocked my Herman Bovink reformed dogmatics on the floor, like bent a couple pages. I was like, the most expensive <laughs> thing in the house just hit the floor, man. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> That's my vase. That's my priceless vase from China. <laughs> exactly. No, so Bavink to me is is one of the most interesting thinkers uh, that the church has ever had. I, I think that we owe him an incredible debt and that we'd all be better off if we thought more like him. But he was talking about how Schleiermacher, who is this uh, not very good, not very good guy, super liberal theologian, uh, German reformer that overall I think was did, did a lot of damage. But one of the things that Schleiermacher said that Bavink actually agreed with was that uh, throughout history, we have like heroes, you know, we have these, these epic persons and epic characters in history. Think of like Constantine or Joan of Arc would be, would for sure be one. Augustine would be one. Alfred the Great, you know, these guys and almost to a man, all of them claim some kind of inspiration from the Lord. And there, and I don't mean that in the way of like revelation. I don't mean that, that they all think that they had infallible knowledge of something or were giving the world some new message from God. That's not it. But in the same way that an artist feels inspired before he does a painting, these heroes, these Christian heroes in history said that they felt almost like a random impulse of inspiration to do this thing. And then, and then they had like a diehard ride or die motivation to see it done. Uh, and then, of course, you do get more normal artists that claim the same thing where they're like, yeah, I was sleeping one night and I woke up and I had this idea. And then they write the best novel they've ever written. Stephen King did that with The Shining, supposedly, according to him. So what I'm trying to say is I I think that that's possible um, that someone would would be so uh, would be so profoundly hit with inspiration that you can say that it was a gift of the Lord, that, that it was something that they were given out of God's generous blessing. And if that's true, and I think that it's true, and I'm a reformed, I'm a cessationist, I don't believe in the continuation of you know tongues and prophecy and all that, and yet I think that God can give gifts to it his might children. might be good, because if somebody's listening and this is their first time, they might have been like, oh, wow, Troy brought yeah, on yeah, like yeah. a very no, charismatic I'm, Pentecostal I'm not a charismatic today. guy. <laughs> I grew up uh, exposed to that. I, I'm not a charismatic guy at all. I, I don't think that any of that is legitimate. Uh, and yet I do think that God gives good gifts to his children. And I think that some of those good gifts would naturally include ideas and skill um, and, and even the ability to, to persist in something when you meet resistance. You know, that, that's one of the operations of the Holy Spirit is to sustain. So I don't think any of that is outside the realm of possibility. Now, the, the individual validity of all of those claims is a whole other question, but I think that it's at least possible, and the biblical data could back it up. If that's true, and, it, and I know it's an if, you know, we, we don't know for sure, but if that's true, then I think the other side of the coin could also be true, where you have um, people that are hearing maybe more even literal voices in their head, and they're telling them to do horrible things. Um, there are stories of this all over the place. One example is the the telepathic Bigfoot encounter. This happens all the time. People that say they encounter Bigfoot walk away from the experience and say, yeah, I heard a voice in my head. It was not my voice. I wasn't the one thinking of it. It was like this other thing pushed his or her or whatever it is, 
pushed their thoughts into my mind, and then I was also able to respond to them. So I think that we tend to underestimate uh, the ability of the spiritual world, whether the good or the evil bits of that, uh, to influence even the more abstract ideas in our physical world, such as thought. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do think so. I like, and I agree with you. By the way, I do think that no, like what you're saying is like, it's a I think totally that, like half baked idea. I haven't totally thought. But no, I think it's some truth to it. And like, I mean, it kind of reminds me of what Martin Luther's famous quote, right? Like, the birds will fly through the air. You can control where they nest. Like, there's gonna be things that enter our thoughts and the way we're thinking and viewing. Obviously, I think he was probably talking more about like temptation, but I think it yeah. applies yeah. across the board where there's going to be sometimes ideas and moments, especially in these heavily. Uh, spiritual encounters where you might be feeling and dealing with something that's going a little bit beyond. I mean, so think about this. Think about like repentance of sin. Uh, I I was talking about this with my friend the other day because I would, I mean, he was a huge blessing to me and he revealed some sin that I've been walking in that was like, I was completely blind to it. Have you ever had that where you're talking to a friend or a parent or a pastor and they're like, Hey brother, uh, I've noticed this and this is like not a good, this is not good. You should repent and obey. And I, and I was listening to him talk and I'm just like, Oh, uh, he's completely right. Like I have not noticed this at all. That is a grace of God to, to notice your sin so that you might turn away from it and walk in joyful obedience. That's a grace of God. And the grace is in the form of noticing something that you didn't previously notice. Um, now it's more than that, of course, but it's not less than that. And so I, I think that it's, I think that it's at least not crazy to say that that could extend into other areas as well, where you're studying and you're diligent and you're doing your work and, and you're doing good work. But then there comes a moment where something just clicks, you know, and you don't really know what you would ascribe it to apart from, I'm really grateful that the Lord helped me notice that thing. And I don't, and and what I don't mean is that you then go to people and say like, I got a word from the Lord. That's complete nonsense. Don't do that. Okay. You didn't get a word from the Lord. You have his word. It's in front of you in the Bible, but you can certainly be inspired as your affections are trained by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can give you gifts and, and, and you can say like, oh, wow, I have this idea for a great novel, you know, and then you write this amazing story. That's a blessing to millions of people. Why not? <laughs> I think I would agree with that greatly too. I mean, certainly it's hard to imagine someone like C.S. Lewis or Tolkien didn't have, I mean, they would certainly oh, say that their inspiration came from just beyond, you know, themselves, that they were they were definitely being used greater in that way. I think that's a really wonderful answer. And it's a good answer too, because I just think a lot of times we as Christians get these, we'll hear these situations that are outside what we're used to. And we just kind of approach them and go, Oh, what do I do? And it's almost just like, I don't know what to do. Throw it out almost. Right. Yeah. And, and it, it it's just kind of like, we need to be able to tackle these answers. At least somewhat has something we can say to them. All right. Now I want to throw it to you, Ben, from a church history's perspective with your research. Cause if you haven't listened to Honda Cosmos, they do just a wonderful job of just digging through and bringing you all these different stories. Like I thought I knew some good history and I do think I don't do too half that, but man, when I was like listening to you guys talk about some of these things, I was like, they went so much deeper than I've ever heard anybody <laughs> go on some of this stuff. It's really cool. So, 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is there a story from church history or something you found that you feel like kind of intersects with where Christians are at that maybe people haven't heard of or haven't thought of too much before? Yeah, you know, that's a really, really good question. Uh, I think that, man, there's probably like dozens of answers um, to, to come up with. And I'm sure that I could come up with a better one. But the one that really jumps to mind is um, it's, a, it's a hagiographical story of Cyprian and St. Justina. And I guess they're both saints, St. Saint Cyprian and Justina. They were both Christians. But I don't think that almost any of it is true in the way that it's written down in the hagiography, which if people don't know, a hagiography is a, a biography of a saint. Hagia is saint. And they're oftentimes very embellished. Um, Joan of Arc has a really popular one as well, and it's very good, but you know, it's, it's pretty embellished. And this is covered one in our show last year on St. Nicholas, or I think it was last year. And there's this story where basically St. Nicholas, you know, goes to a bar, gets, tries to get some food. He goes into the basement. He finds like three children dead there. And then he like touches them and they all come back to life. It's just a wild made up story. And from our research, the actual original story was probably that St. Nicholas saw three people about to get executed, stopped the execution, said, like, we're doing this on the witness of one man. We need more evidence. And the reality was that guy came forward, confessed he was going to kill them, but he, he it was a business thing, and he felt bad about it. And so Nicholas, there is like a real chance that Nicholas saved three lives, but over time, that three lives turned into three children in a bar, and it just yeah. got wilder and wilder. And I kind of actually like the original version where he's like running up on the execution stand almost better. But yeah, yeah, so that definitely does happen. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny as you were saying that I just thought of two other, like probably better examples. I'll <laughs> touch on those real quick when I'm done. Uh, but Cyprian and St. Justina, I, I, like the idea is that Cyprian was this necromancer and he, not the church doctor, Cyprian, different guy, another Cyprian was a necromancer in the city. And he was really good at it. I mean, he had a bunch of familiar spirits and he was able to give people what they wanted if they gave him money and then he would summon the demons and they would give him and and they would give gifts, you know, or knowledge to help these, these clients of his. And there was another lady in the city, uh, Justina, and she was very chaste. um, And she was a, a firm believer in the gospel. Her father was an elder in the, in the local church. And there was another guy who I can't remember his name, and he was really attracted to Justina, and he wanted to marry her. But she uh, had pledged celibacy, and so she rejected his proposal, and then he tried to force himself upon her, and she resisted and fled, and that was kind of it. Well, this guy goes to Cyprian, 
And he's like, I want you to make me a, a, a potion that I can give to Justina that will make her fall in love with me. And he goes, okay. And so they go back and forth. And finally they, you know, Cyprian lands on something he thinks will work. They go and put it around her house and she walks in. And then the, the account says that she woke up in the witching hour of the night, like two or 3 a.m., where she would normally do her nightly prayers. And as she's praying, she's filled with lustful thoughts for this guy. And she's begging the Lord to save her from these, these lustful thoughts and to, to take them away so that she might not be distracted from prayer and from celibacy. And the Lord does so. And, and she is delivered from, from this attack and she repents of her sin. Well, then you enter into this like eight-part series of different demons coming to assault Justina to try and get her to marry this guy. And finally, the devil himself takes the form of the guy that she wants to, or, or the guy that wants to marry her, goes to Justina, and at the name of Christ, he flees. And Cyprian, in all of this, is completely dumbfounded at the weakness of the demonic host. And he actually repents and puts his faith in Christ and becomes, um, you know, a, a stalwart defender of the Christian faith. And I think that the truth of it, it lies in the fact that Cyprian probably was a, a guy practicing pagan witchcraft. We know in history that that was real, that he was doing that. We know that Justina was a Christian. We know that this other guy who wanted to marry her existed. And I, I, don't, think it's, um, I don't think it's fiction that through the attempted twisting of the spiritual realm's arm – and then being made aware of how impotent that demonic realm is against the living God, Cyprian was convicted of a sin, and he turned and placed his faith in Christ. And to ignore that possibility, to just brush that off as complete fiction from the get-go, is frankly yeah. reckless. It's to ignore Scripture. I mean, we have in Scripture an account of a king of Israel, the first king of Israel, going to a witch— and what does he see? A ghost, the ghost of Samuel sent by God to convict Saul of his sin, and he doesn't repent. And then we, you know, and so anyway, I think that would be a really good example. I think that it actually is more akin to our society today than most people would, would, uh, would give credit for. I think that a lot of people are unwittingly giving themselves up to demonic worship in their everyday life. I mean, one obvious example is the abortion industry. If that's not Molech worship, then I don't know what is. It simply is the worship of Molech. And I heard this great tweet, or I read this great tweet from my buddy uh, Santiago Pliego. He said, um, in response to an article saying that uh, that parents have no right to um, to say that their children cannot transition to a different sex, you know, even at the age of two, is evil. That a parent who says to their child, no, son, you are not a girl, is an evil parent, and they have no right to parent that child. And he quote tweeted that headline, and he said, we are summoning things that can't be easily unsummoned. And I think he's right. I think he's literally right. That in, in believing ideology like that, you are inviting horrible evil into your life. Sin, yes. Yeah. But also, I mean, what... Like what demonic force doesn't love to see that? What screw tape or wormwood doesn't love to see that? Um, so I think that it's really relevant. Another one would be, uh, and this is more like fun, I think, um, the story of Constantine seeing the, the Cairo, 
you know, above the yeah. the Melvian Bridge, and it says, you know, buy this sign, conquer. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I doubt that happened. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. per, perhaps the, you know, perhaps the clouds and the moonlight were in such a way that he saw across, and it really affected him in the way that nature affects all of us. And the book of nature testifies to the glory and the goodness of God. Um, but then look what came of that too. Like, I do think that that there was genuine belief in Constantine and yeah. the fruit while mixed admittedly uh, overall points to a, a robust uh, dedication to the truth of the Christian faith. And so when someone who tell people, cause Constantine will sometimes get, I think a bad rap, you know, he'll get, yeah, yeah. Um, put almost the blame of anything wrong with Christianity. Sometimes he'll mm -hmm. put it on his shoulders. And I, I would just always kind of think back to look, if I was a Christian, living through those persecutions. I think the last one was Diocletian's yeah. and 20 years later, I'm living in Constantine's Rome. Things have improved greatly, you know, yeah. for me and for my fellow Christians. And I, I think we need to acknowledge that like, yeah, yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe there are problems, but also for the average Christian, this was a huge blessing that that horrible persecution seemed to have finally diminished. And yeah, we've covered this heavily on our show. Constantine, was not the end it was it, it, after him it did not become pure christian there are several arian emperors right. there are several problems all the way to ambrose at the end of his life um in the 380s and 390s they're still fighting against arian emperors so the yep. idea that constantine put something in motion and it just perfectly went from there everything that followed after him that's just not what happened at all yeah yeah i mean we had like julian the apostate came after constantine yeah and he and exactly. he got the title because he was an apostate and then Ambrose, he had to rebuke the Emperor Theodosius because Theodosius yeah. like slaughtered a bunch of political enemies yep. in a uh, in a Colosseum. So yeah, it wasn't. We're Ambrose, not looking through rose of Ambrose glasses. on this show, dude. Yeah, Ambrose because we my actually did son his... Ambrose because of Ambrose. That's amazing. That guy so on is our a show. Chad we King. actually we we started this. Uh, we we had a sermon that he gave while in the siege that was happening when the Arians were trying to drag him. He he gave a sermon, and we have revived that one and put it out in January. And it is absolutely wild that it even exists. That he's in a church. I will not give up the pulpit to the Arians, and I'm gonna. And his sermon is so amazing too. He's basically just like, guys, think of me as the donkey Jesus rode on. I'm dumb. I'm a worthless animal. If they kill me, they kill me. Right. And it's just like you're saying this while the guards are at the door trying to break yeah. in. I can't even fathom it. God, yeah. I, I have so much admiration for Ambrose. I can't wait to meet him one day. I mean, goodness, what a guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I like church history is rife with these things, uh, of, of people. I, and I think at the end of the day, like if I had to really put a category to it or a label to it, I would say that it's people who are true believers and they are faithful Christians and they are born again and something happens to them um, that they just can't fully explain or understand. Something that they attribute to the grace of God that's outside of themselves. And they ultimately just say like, you know, I, I don't know. I became convinced of this thing or I, I had this idea and, and no sinful mind would have that idea, you know? And I, and I think that um, we love to maybe over categorize at times. We don't like abstractions. I certainly don't. And maybe that is what gets us into trouble with like, you know, maybe going too far down that road of speculation as to what the operation could have been to give someone this inspiration but ultimately, I think that it's true that we have to sit back and say, no, some people have just 
come to grips with the fact that they have had this idea that didn't come from themselves and it was a good idea. And so they are ultimately trying to give God glory for it in the best way they know how. Listen, all right, Ben, my last question for you, because again, these are discussions, if you pick up any history textbook, and I would even say if you pick up any church history textbook, these kind of things almost never get even mentioned, even though you would imagine as Christians, we are told there is spiritual warfare going on. Even if you are a very skeptical, like, I don't like to see this kind of stuff going on. I really like to stay, you know, stick with the facts. We still know that in this world, these major Christian figures, certainly people like Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon would have had at least some spiritual warfare going on as they went about their lives. There would have been some attempt to keep them from going through what they do. Why do you think that the church I would say is now in a place where they are, I would think it'd be willing to say scared to even consider the possibility of these things. I mean, when you were discussing one of the, uh, I think it was the the woman with the love potion, it was reminding me of the, you know, the story in Acts when the, the fortune teller slave is going off and Paul oh, yeah. is rebuking that. Like we see this as a very real thing, yet we live in a world where I would say, it seems to me the church has, has just shut out the doors demon stuff is just not really something we're going to talk about. These spiritual things are not things we're going to talk about. And now we've almost gone back through church history and kind of sterilized it. So there's, we can't even find it even if we wanted to. Why, why do you think we've landed in this place now in the 21st century? I think that it's the poison of the enlightenment. I think, I think the French enlightenment did incalculable damage to human thought. Uh, when we let ourselves be driven by rationalism, and positivism, which just says that anything is true if it can be proven true rationally. Uh, and then we and then we give our minds to men, to horrible, vile men like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Marquis de Sade. Mm. And they say things like, uh, it, it, like, yeah, anything is right. Whatever you define as right is right. And then they also say things, on the other hand, that's more like academic – of, of like all that there is is the physical. All that there is is what you can see and feel and touch and, and smell. That is nonsense. Like we, no, no Christian can think that. There is not a single Christian in the history of the church that can think that that is true. It's not allowed. It's untenable when faced with scripture. But we've let it infect our minds to the point where we almost don't even realize how much it affects us. So when someone's grandma uh, or great-grandma says, you know, uh, something cheesy like, man, you know, the birds don't cry. They sing. They, uh, and, and a child, like a Zoomer, hears his great-grandma say that. And, and he thinks like, that's just so hokey. Like, I'm sad. My parents just got divorced and you're going to tell me the birds don't cry. They sing. So what do you want me to do? Sing? And then the grandma says, Yes. Why would she say yes? Because there's power in song. Why, like, God loves music and poetry, and, 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 and he spoke the world into existence. There actually is power in word and in song, and he's given us a whole 150 songs to sing that are full of power mm-hmm. and, and encouragement and, and blessing. And so when you castrate uh, the, the world and say that, all it's made up of is what you can see, then you are indeed castrating it. And you're ripping pages out of the book of nature that should not be ripped out and that you rip out at your own risk. I mean, you, 
we can go on. <laughs> but, but I'm very passionate about this because what happens is that you create a generation of Christians that don't know how to handle things that happen all the time. You create a generation of Christians who see the widespread um, cancer of, of abortion and leftism and atheism and feminism and all of these horrible things, and they have no clue what to do about it. And we know what to do about it because we know that it's ultimately not flesh and blood that we wrestle against. It's powers and principalities. But what are powers and principalities? They're non-physical spiritual powers. And we are supposed to appeal to God with the full armor of God and say, help us, Lord. And hey, while we're at it, I will fight with the sword of the word of God. But we don't realize that. So we think of the Bible as a collection of really good stories and nothing more. We think of the Bible as a moral code and nothing more. We think of the Bible as, as um, no miracles except one, that, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the only miracle that's yeah. ever happened. Uh, and and yeah. somehow, somehow he can save us from our sin. But we don't understand how deep the sin goes. And so we, yeah. we castrate nature. Like all of nature is cursed. Do pe- what do you see when you look at the sun come up in the sky? Is it what Psalm 19 says? A strong man leaving his chamber, shouting the glories of God, giving warmth to the world, so, so much so that no one can avoid the sun's warmth, just like no one can avoid the authority of God. Is that what you see? Or do you see just the, the earth kind of tumbles around again and, and it falls into the light of the sun again? That may be true, but it doesn't mean that Psalm 19 isn't also literally true. It doesn't mean that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, a, beetle, that a dung beetle in Egypt rose up into the sky and now pushes the sun across the sky, which is what the Egyptian religion thought. And when we, anyway, I'm just ranting at this point. I'll stop. But <laughs> basically, no. uh, we, we ruin our, our ability to deal with the world properly when we fall into the ditch of materialism. You gave me a thought. I don't know. I don't, it wasn't exactly what you were saying, but it was kind of like listening to you kind of perk this in my mind. I never really thought of it this way, but when we deny that there are spiritual realities in this world, that there are spiritual consequences for the, the, the actions that people have and that there is a spiritual element to all of the history of the church, just like in your own life, there's a spiritual element. When you deny that dark influence or good influence, you then end up denying the power of God too. Because once you start denying it on one side, it just starts to get denied on both sides until, like you said, the only miracle that people want to accept is that Jesus died and rose again until you've just pretty much neutered all of that. And it's not that, and and I'm sure you would say as well, it's not that you flip it and then that you go and believe every single spiritual thing and you start chasing down every crystal and every problem on the other side (laughs) of it. It's just that (laughs) Yeah, it's just that understanding and recognizing that there are these realities and although we don't always understand them, we need to be able to deal with the fact that they're going to be a part of the story as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll say that that's a really, really, I think that's such an important point. Like what I'm not saying is that you just go believe whatever you hear. Absolutely not. What I am saying is that you act like a Christian. You open your mind and heart only in so far as you can then close it on the word of God and never open it again. You don't open your mind to anything. You open your mind and then close it on God's word, on what he tells you to close it on. And when you do that, you become, I mean, I think enamored with God's creation in a way that's very healthy. But if you don't do that, there's one of two directions that you can go. You can either begin to believe everything. You can become hyper-spiritualistic. You can become a Gnostic. 
You know, you can become a Hindu or, or whatever, or you can become an atheist. But both of those people are doing the same thing functionally. They are giving themselves over to evil, wicked, demonic powers, some of them unwittingly, some of them quite on purpose, but the end result is the same. And it's complete separation from God and his love. It's actually interesting that you say, and this might be the good way to end this too. It's interesting that you say on purpose. One thing that I've had to do recently in my classes is we kind of teach through uh, just the, one of, one of the areas we teach through is just the philosophical unraveling of what happened in church history when Christianity, you know, starts to take a step back after the enlightenment. We look at the works. You mentioned Rousseau as one. You uh, Another one would be Nietzsche. But we mentioned mm, just yeah. all these different thinkers. And what's one of the most interesting things, one of the things that kind of blew my mind the most, I think, as I looked at all these quotes, and it, I should honestly, we've got to do an episode on this too at some point, but is how many of them are telling you, I know what I'm doing. Like Nietzsche yeah. is saying, like, I have taken it as my mission to destroy Christianity. Like, it's not an accident that we're trying to do this, or it's not just, oh, we're free thinking. And, you know, it, the idea that I got in college was like, oh, we're just free thinking. And it just happened to be as we free thought, we free thought our way out of Christianity. Yeah. And when you read the quotes by men by Freud, and, and Freud, I remember he has a quote where he specifically is like, we have to undo the education of religion and replace it right. with our own education and bring in the psychoanalytical tool. We see these guys saying these things and you realize it was not by accident and how many of these guys also had very strange occultic things that they were involved in as well from yeah. margaret sanger to many others and you realize like this was not a group of people who didn't believe in god who were just scientists around a room writing their they, these were people who were going and practicing seances and then they would turn around and say but but christianity is bad religion yeah. doesn't exist i only believe in atheism and it's like wait a second how do you put these two things together they were a religious elite that just just the wrong religion. <laughs> you know, they were a, yep, a religious religion. Exactly. Have you read uh Paralandra by C.S. Lewis? I have not. And I okay, gotta say, I feel dude. like I've read every single C.S. Lewis book outside of those uh those the sci-fi novels of his that Man. are big and everyone likes them. They're really good. I highly recommend them. But there's this thing in Paralandra where there's a guy who uh is a is a scientist on earth. And he becomes possessed by the devil. And, um, and he begins to sound so much like those guys, Nietzsche, Freud, uh, you know, Schleiermacher, uh, Rousseau. He begins to sound like them. And it's just the most like subtly deceptive thing that you've ever heard. Like it really is so close um, in some ways, but it's so, so far away in, in the most crucial ways. And what's striking to me is the certainty that he has where he, he's speaking with unreal levels of authority and certainty. And the confidence is even itself uh, attractive, I think. And then you have the Christian, you know, this guy named Ransom, and he's not as certain. He's certain in the truth that God has given us. But he also knows that that truth only goes so far, that man hasn't been told everything. you know. And, and it's, it's humbling to walk away from that and say, it is indeed by the power of God that we wrestle against the powers and principalities. It wasn't, it wasn't Ransom's uh, eloquence. It wasn't his uh, you know, skill with logic. It, was it wasn't his exhaustive knowledge of, of history or, or biology, whatever. It was a robust faith in God that ultimately wins the day. So 
also don't be overly certain of yourself or overly dogmatic. That's always a good reminder for me. I'm, I'm sure other people yeah. may benefit from that too. <laughs> Well, hey, I hope you all enjoyed listening to this. It's definitely a different kind of episode, but I can't, I mean, when you, if you're listening to our show, you got to know that these pastors who are doing these things who are going through church history, they are, at least some of them are going to experience some of the spiritual warfare side of things. And it just, it just never gets talked about. And I wanted to be able to do that with Ben just now. And if you're listening to my, my wife's show, Mars Missionaries, you know that when we're talking about people like David Livingston and Hudson Taylor and John G. Payton, they're having to deal with oh. these witch doctors and these people who, even if you you will not you're, you're look i just don't believe that's a big deal the people on the ground do and he's having to explain to these people with these spiritual ideas hey yeah. this is the other side of it and so i'm really thankful that ben came on and was able to talk some of this stuff up i had never heard that cyprian story before it's super interesting now i'm like man i want to learn more about you should that go look it up if it's really interesting wanna, no, I love stuff like that. I think it's super, like, I love these stories of his. The more I learn and read history and the more I've just, the more I'm like, where was all of this in history class? Like, yeah, I know maybe it's not supposed to be in a textbook, but isn't it interesting? And don't we want to know what really happened? Uh, if you want to learn more about this kind of stuff, I highly recommend the Haunted Cosmos podcast. I will be honest, it was many of you are probably already subscribed, but if you are not yet subscribed, there's an episode on vampires. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, Twilight, right? Like, Trust me when I tell you, it is the most in-depth thing on vampires, the historical side, telling stories, and they do it with good production value. Good, it's, it's, it's really something you got to check out. There's an episode called Mothman, and how can you not click on something like that? Um, skinwalkers, as he mentioned before, too. Skinwalkers are terrifying, but yeah. go listen to them. You might say, hey, I don't think any of this has a basis in reality, but they are good stories of nothing else. I think you'll enjoy listening to them, and uh, Ben and Brian do just a wonderful job. Man, thank you. That's super. That's so kind of you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Ben, do you have anything else you would like to share with the audience? Anything else they can go to find you or, or hear more from you? No, I mean, if you want to hear me rant some more, you can uh, you can find me on, on the podcast on Haunted Cosmos. You can find me on Twitter at Tom Pondbedil. Um You can find me on Instagram if you want at, at Haunted Cosmos underscore. Uh, but otherwise, you know, thank you for having me on. And I'm sure that your listenership is just awesome. Uh, it'd be great to, to, to do more someday. So thank you. Absolutely. Oh, we'd definitely be happy to have you. All right, Ben, thank you for coming on. And we will, uh, all of my listeners are certainly subscribing and they will look forward to learning more. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.